Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning. Thank you to Fiona for yesterday. Uh, I was just enjoying an extra little Monday morning in the bed before anybody's wondering where I was. Tuesday morning then. Uh, by the way, if you haven't downloaded the security update to your iPhone, iPad, Mac or any other Apple product, your watch, whatever, you should do it now. Uh, this is an emergency thing that Apple put out last evening and like you probably did, I got the alert on my phone download it now I'm always afraid of these things you know you're saying well, <laughs> yeah right like I'm going to click on download now because we all know how many gangsters are out there trying to get into your phone or into your computer or into your iPad well, this one is from Apple and it's genuine because there is a very sneaky piece of software out there that can take over your iPhone I've got mine updating here on the table as I speak and it's it's taking it's taking a while now to be honest but it will block out that <clears throat> that particular piece of malicious software more on that a bit later on I don't know how it was for Freshers Week last night it was fairly lively to say the least on Sunday I don't know how it was last night we'll catch up again there in a little while but first of all I think the whole country was watching this last night um, certainly I was and I was wondering did I get anything new out of it and having watched it for the hour and watched chunks of it back again I'm not sure that I did get anything particularly new out of it People watching this tonight they think I'm interviewing many of them a, a violent killer who has literally gotten away with murder uh, Well I'm not um, and you know I was falsely accused falsely put in the frame from I think almost day one and it's, you know, that was 25, coming up for 25 years ago, my life and my partner's life and a lot of people's lives have been completely, you know, disrupted. But I can assure you or your listeners that I have nothing to do with this crime. 
presented by Colette Fitzpatrick, the big interview on Virgin Media last night with Ian Bailey. Ralph Regal is Southern correspondent of the Irish Independent and he wrote the book A Dream of Death about the murder of Sophie Toscan Duplantier. Ralph, did you learn anything last night? Good morning to you. Uh, good morning, PJ. Um, no, a bit like yourself, PJ, I didn't. Um, having said that, I mean, I was absolutely glued to the screen and it was at times intriguing, at times baffling. I have to admit that there were times I actually found it unsettling. Um, and it was interesting to, to, I mean, look at the emphasis or listen to the emphasis that was placed on certain parts of the, of, of the story. But in terms of actual new detail, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I know Ian has spoken before about his belief that he believes he knows who, who did it or who might have done it. He has his suspicions. That's been dealt with before. I mean, we dealt with the things such as the, the, the lack of evidence, the DPP's demolition of the Garda investigation report, um, the things like the scratches, the marks in the arms, all of that was dealt with. I mean, that first really came to light back in the, the defamation action before Cork Circuit um, Civil Court back in 2003. You, you were covered it as well, PJ. Yes, so indeed. Like, a lot of that material would have been in the public domain. I think it was more the personal. I mean, if I was to say one thing that really struck me from, from the programme, it would be the contrasting images of Ian Bailey being interviewed, I, I think there was a couple of interviews by Paul Byrne um, back in the early days, and the the image of a handsome, you know, fit, healthy, mm. confident man contrasting with the image of 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 Mr. Bailey mm. last night, where he clearly, I mean, uh, he has, he struck me as a man that had been under severe pressure for mm. a long period of time. He has aged and dramatically, it, Ralph. I think, yeah. Shockingly so, PJ. I mean, to the point where, I mean, I was in Bantry um, District Court earlier this year with with a lot of the other the journalists in Cork, and I was really struck by, I mean, I have to call it the physical deterioration in the man. I mean, it wasn't that he walked into the court so much as that he shuffled in. And I know he has had a number of health problems. He he referenced one of them last mm. night that he had a, a difficulty with his leg and infection in his leg or whatever. But he just didn't look a very well man last night in, in physical terms. Mm. And it's understandable. I mean, it was one of the points that Colette Fitzpatrick put to him was that, you know, I mean, he's an innocent man. He has consist, consistently protested his innocence. He has claimed that there were sinister attempts made to frame him for this. But... I mean, a, a murder, sen- a murder, a fully served murder sentence would have ended a de- almost a decade ago, yes. eight to ten years ago. Whereas, tw- I mean, we we're coming to the twenty-fifth anniversary mm. of Sophie's murder next December, and Ian Bailey is still in the spotlight. He is still protesting his innocence, and you can visibly see from the program last night the, the the toll that it has taken on him I think in, in certainly in terms of his physical appearance and his health mm. what did you think of the, the the interviewing style there were there were various opinions expressed on it on social media some people felt she was hard on him others felt that she was right to go hard after him particularly on the domestic violence issue how did you think she performed Oh no! I thought I thought it was an excellent interview. I mean, I I know Colette. Actually, I was I was doing a college course with Colette a number of years ago, and I was very impressed by it. I think when you're dealing with those particular issues, you've no choice but to be 
blunt, to be forthright, to ask the hard questions. That's what a good journalist and a good interviewer does. Um, there were times, I, I think particularly when it came to the domestic violence, it made for very uncomfortable viewing and particularly the nature of the injuries that were sustained or inflicted on um, Mr. Bailey's partner, Jules Thomas. Now, again, we, we would all be familiar with this because all of this came out in incredibly graphic detail back in the 2003 um, defamation action, mm. and they'd been referenced several times um, since then. And, of course, there was a few of us were um, special mentioned to, to Barry Roach of the Irish Times. Barry has been covering this. He's the, the longest um, journalist covering this story. He was he was covering it pretty much from the very, very beginning. He was there but on there Christmas Eve, us. I believe. If, 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 if That's I right, yeah, yeah, the day yeah after, going yeah. back so... Yeah, so he he really has been covering it from the very very beginning, and I mean a few of us were at the 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 charges um in terms of the the I think it was about two thousand and one if I'm not mistaken was when the, the most high profile of the domestic violence incidents resulted in a, a court charge, um but it, it it we're familiar with it there was nothing in it that we didn't already know, <laughs> but it was just. The, the, the constant repeating of the phrase, I think, I think that the phrase that Mr. Bailey was using was, you know, to his eternal shame. And it was almost repeating it like a mantra. But it's understandable. I mean, in the circumstances, you can see the, the connection that uh, people would make. You know, is it is a person capable of inflicting that type of, of injury on their partner, capable of perhaps doing more? And Mr. Bailey's, you know, he's very firm. No, he didn't. He explained mm. about his drinking, particularly spirits. I thought it was uncomfortable where he seemed to be making a, a connection between that they were both drinking. Mm. I mean, what on earth? Um, Jules Thomas's um, behavior had anything whatsoever yeah. to do with that? The, was the a very uncomfortable section of the interview, actually, to be quite honest. It was very it, hard to it watch was. that. It was. I'll be honest with you, PJ. I mean, I was watching it with my my daughter, and she got up and walked out. She just, she just yeah. had had enough of it. Really, just found it very uncomfortable viewing. Um, I found it uncomfortable myself. I mean, the other thing that I thought watching it, which was, I was a little bit taken aback by, was by Mr. Bailey, not trying to almost say that you know Sophie Toscan de Plantier was pretty, but she wasn't striking. It, it, almost trying to kind of, I said, you know, we've always been writing that she was a very attractive, very vivacious, very pretty woman. I mean, that's been in the coverage really from the very beginning, because mm. in my opinion, I think she was, and mm. it, it very much raised the issue of was she targeted because of her looks. And I just thought it was interesting last night that he was saying, yeah, well, she's pretty, but she really wasn't striking. That was one of the things that kind of jumped out from the, the interview for me. Yeah. We're what? We're less three months away, just over three months away, Ralph, from the 25th anniversary of this horrific murder. You wrote one of the definitive books on it. Um, do you think we will ever know for sure what happened on that night? Ah, if, if, if I'm honest, PJ, I would pray that we do. Um, because, I mean, we've met um, Sophie's parents and family on a number of occasions over the years. Mm -hmm. I mean, they used to come over almost every year for an anniversary mass in Goline. And almost every year there'd be an interview outside the church. There'd be an appeal for information. And I mean, you will not come across kinder, more decent people people. 
than, than, than George and, and, and Marguerite. I mean, really nice people. I mean, I remember being down at a candlelit vigil. I've spoken about this before. I was covering a candlelit vigil um, at the spot where Sophie's body was discovered. It was a dark winter's evening. And the family insisted. I mean, I, re- I refused multiple times because it just didn't feel it was appropriate for a journalist to be inside the house with the family, even though they had invited us. And I said, look, no, I prefer not to. And in the end, I was told, look, if you don't go up into the house for a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, Mrs. Booneyall is going to bring the tea and coffee <laughs> down a steep hill to you. And it was just the kindness and the warmth of the people. And the other element of it is that, I mean, if anyone had a reason to slate Ireland or to carry a grudge against Ireland or, you know, say say nasty things about the judicial system here. It, it's these people because they've not seen justice done for their daughter. I mean, they are one of those people where the system, however you may describe it, society, whatever structures we have in place, they have not seen justice. They're not alone. There's lots of families out there that have never seen justice for loved ones that have fallen victims to violent crime. But they have never, they've always been understanding. They've always spoken well of Ireland. And that's something I've always borne in mind. So on a personal level, I pray that they do get some kind of closure. But unfortunately, I feel it's looking very unlikely, PJ. I mean, we've had so many appeals for information. We've had so many false dawns. There's been so many new leads that turned out to be very little. Now, the Guardi at the moment are looking at potentially new material. There's a lot of... Um, material. Some things came to light following the two documentaries, the one on Sky and the one on Netflix. Mm-hmm. But the indications that I'm getting is that it's it's not looking like they are going to make a significant difference to the view of the case and the view of the DPP yeah. back in 2001 that there, there was no case to be brought against anyone in this jurisdiction. Okay. All right. Listen, leave it there for now. Ralph, thank you very much. Ralph Regal, a Southern correspondent of the Irish Independent and the author of A Dream of Death about the murder of Sophie Toscan Duplantier, a book well worth reading. Another book well worth reading, and I read it earlier this year and I spoke to the guy who wrote it, is Murder at Roaring Water. That was written by Nick Foster. Nick Foster has tweeted... This morning, I was just wondering last night what I tweeted, that I was wondering what he was thinking of the interview, if he was able to watch it. And he said, in a tweet, he said, what I think is justice urgently needs to be served. I'm working hard on a couple of new leads that point in one direction only. Sophie Toscan Duplantier was a beautiful woman, a much-loved daughter and mother, murdered in the most atrocious way imaginable. The clock is ticking. That's from Nick Foster, author of Murder at Roaring Water and Nick Foster worked on the documentary with Jim Sheridan that we all watched earlier in the year. John O'Donovan says, I thought it was a disgraceful interview. We learned nothing new and the interviewer kept pushing the domestic violence issue. Another caller, I thought the interview was very poor. I thought the interviewee didn't present himself in the best light and the interviewer was really poor. I think she could have taken the opportunity to go over the forensics with him a lot more so we could get his account of what the guards did and didn't do, which would be the basis of further investigation. We saw everything and heard everything in that interview before. She should have taken the opportunity to go over the timelines, which might have brought something out that would help solve the murder. And yet, on the other side of it, people were saying she was trying to try to investigate it again. I think in the position that Colette Fitzpatrick was in last night, I don't think you can win. I really don't think you can win. Some people are going to like you. Some people are going to hate you. Personally, I thought she conducted it well. Uh, my missus thought she was being quite uh, aggressive with him. Uh, so it, it's, it's a 
different views for, for different people. But as Ralph said, I don't think we learnt anything in the space of that hour last night. 1850-715-996. Your thoughts are welcome. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Douglas Court Shopping Centre. They've got everything you need and more. Visit douglascourt.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Court's 96FM. Now, Sunday night was the start of Fresher's Week at UCC and almost as if by clockwork they were part on College Road. It happens every year. It's kind of part of Freshers' Week, but you can imagine why residents get very bothered about it year in, year out. Uh, yesterday morning, quite a lot of coverage on it, particularly on social media. And there was a meeting uh, last night uh, involving the president, a number of residents, and the uh, chair of the Residents Association, Catherine Clancy, who joins me now. Catherine, good morning. Morning, PJ. Uh, Catherine, Morning. I, I know you would uh, probably object to me saying yeah. it is part and parcel of Freshers Week. Freshers Week. That's just a statement of fact. Mm. W- was it easier going last night? No, what it was actually, I suppose, you know, during the summer and, uh, you know, things were much better than last summer. And we were, um, you know, if I can go back a bit, just last week, we were very disappointed because the first we heard of what they call sophomore week. Uh, which is the week that's taking place now, uh, changing the name, but if you like, uh, Frisch's week one and another one to take place in the 27th of September, that we as residents wrote to the president during the week because we knew nothing about it. It was the first we heard of it uh, last Monday night. And, you know, a university that prides itself in inclusiveness and in being part of the community, no contact made with the residents. So when we met the president last night, that was the first thing we had to say to him. Secondly, then, what happens Sunday night um, you know, UCC have a code of conduct. They have a booklet that they give out to every house in the area uh, last weekend, all about respect uh, and responsibility for students in the area when they come into the community. Every word and every line of their code of conduct was broken here on last Sunday night. What we saw here on last Sunday night was unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Unprecedented. We've seen antisocial behaviour before, but not on that, that That's scale. a strong word for a person of your experience yeah. to be using, Catherine. Unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unprecedented, yes. And, you know, um, we the meeting that took place last night with the president, we had a number of residents who were actually, you know, witnessed what happened on Sunday night. I didn't. Um, and so it was important that they were there to give their story. I think two of their stories will result in a criminal uh, investigation. Well, best to stay you know? away from them. So we best we stay, we stay away from that. And it was, it was good for the president to hear it because it was shocking. And I do believe he was shocked by what he was hearing. You know, but in the end of the day, there's 22,000 students attending UCC. Mm. I would say 21,500 students attending UCC behave properly. Mm-hmm. And I see them passing, you know, I live there, I see them going to the college at 8 o'clock in the morning. They're there, they want to learn, and they're there for the right reasons. There are a couple of hundred students, and in the scheme of things, of 22,000 students, what we said to the president last night, we want them out of our area, 
We want them expelled from UCC, those people who um, were behaving in that manner on Sunday night. They uh, bring our area into this dispute. They bring the university into this dispute. And they also, you know, give the city such a bad image in, uh, nationally and internationally. Mm. What did the president say? They have no say? business being here. What he, I think he was taken aback, really. And, we'll, you know, he's, he's a new president, President mm. John Hallam. We wish yeah, him best. but he spent his entire life developed. in the college, Catherine, so he knows it better than he anybody. Does. Yeah. yeah. But what we're saying is, like, we've developed a relationship as, with him as acting president. He did act before and uh, did expulsions during, the, during, expulsions during the COVID. Nobody wants to see uh, a student expo- expelled, but this warrants expulsion. We don't want them in our community. They are no asset to us, and they're definitely no asset to the university. So are you asking for people to be thrown out of college and take, thrown absolutely. out of their courses? Yes, absolutely. For the type of behaviour that we witnessed on Sunday night. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think it's going to happen? And, uh, I th- we, we expect, we do expect expulsions, and we expect expulsions into the future. Um, we also, um, you know, asked for the uh, CCTV in the area to be extended and, you know, that to be supported by uh, the university and the university coming up with the finance for that. Also, we want a dedicated community worker. You know, we have, um, they have a good community contact with us, but we feel like, you know, the issues now have changed so much in the last two years that it warrants a dedicated community worker. It should have been the case that those houses on Highfield Avenue where the, where the students were living and where the disturbance took place on, uh, particularly on Sunday night, there should have been a, a member of staff of UCC up at those houses at nine o'clock yesterday morning. Yeah, and dealing with it, dealing with it. You, you said that the summer was quieter compla- compared was. to last year. Were, were yes. there less people there, or did they just behave themselves better? I think a lot of the landlords um, didn't let out their properties. Um, we um, absolutely rang the guards if there was a party, even if it was three o'clock in the afternoon. The community guards were fantastic. Our community guards are, are, are outstanding. You know, Trish and Peter, fabulous people. They were worked off their socks for us during the summertime and it did make a difference. But in the end of the day, what happened on Sunday night also needs, should have, um, I was disappointed to see that there was no fines or ASBOs issued on Sunday night. There was drinking in the street blatantly. It's on video. You can see it. Mm, like, you know, they're the drinking in the street. Mm. The bottles being thrown. If that doesn't warrant antisocial behaviour, I don't know what does. I think there's a level. There's definitely a level of behaviour, of antisocial behaviour, criminal behaviour that's accepted by students. Not alone here, we see it in Limerick as well. And there needs to be a mindset and there needs to be a mindset change from the top of Angarja Shia to deal with this behaviour mm. in a m- manner that deserves have, have you spoken to have, the chief superintendent? We have. We have put in for a meeting with the chief superintendent as well. And I would have to say acting through our... Uh, uh, Colm O'Sullivan has been a great supporter of our residents association but really um, we didn't feel that the uh, Sunday night that it was actually that there was no fines or asbos or arrests made on Sunday night was very very disappointing okay. They did clear it up though, they cleared the road didn't they? They cleared the road of bodies but they just moved them to, moving them on is not the solution because um, I had somebody I was speaking to from Sunday as well mm. and they said Catherine I could hear them over on Sunday as well yeah. So, so you, like you know, you're, you're effectively calling for arrests and expulsions. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, our city deserves better. 
we as residents deserve better. Mm-hmm. Our community deserves better. Any other community across the city wouldn't accept it, and rightly so. Why is it acceptable that young people can come into our community from neighbouring parishes, from neighbouring um, counties, and from Kerry, Limerick, wherever, uh, from East Cork and West Cork, from Douglas, from Ballancolic, and come in and treat our community with such disrespect? How dare they? How dare they? And how dare they get away with it even more? I mean, we the, the, those UCC um, on Garda Síochána and our public rep, reps need to be calling for, you know, stronger um, action on behalf of the Garda Síochána, stronger action on UCC and also stronger action and legislation on the houses that are let out, these houses of multi, multiple oxy. Okay. No legislation to deal with these houses. They're bigger than hostels. Nobody manages them. Nobody minds them. Incomes of 40,000 or more a year and... Um, and two-thirds of them not registered with the RTB. There's something sick and there's something very wrong in our community when it comes to enforcement. Okay. All right, Catherine, I'll leave it there for this morning. Catherine Clancy, very strong words from the chair of the Residents Association of College Road and Magazine Road. And look, you've got a lot of people working in that area, young families, children trying to sleep. The last thing they need on a Sunday night before work and school on Monday is noise and scenes the like of what we're seeing on Sunday night. But I wonder, is there much agreement out there with Catherine Clancy that if someone was caught doing that, breaking bottles, drinking in the street, doing damage on Sunday night, she is clearly now calling for expulsions and she is clearly now calling for arrests and charges to be brought. Would you agree? 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You guys ready? We're driving, we're driving home. The big drive home. Weekdays from 4. On Corks 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure you're locked into the big drive home all this week for four hours of the biggest tunes, showbiz interviews and everything Cork. There's a chance for you to show off your music knowledge on the one second song and you could bag yourself a smart speaker on the takeover. All you gotta do is pick the playlist. For that and loads more, I'll talk to you weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home. On Cork's 96FM. Just what Catherine Clancy was referring to there is there's another week next week. They're calling it Sophomore Week for those who were in first year last year but had no real first year at all. They're now coming back in second year and there'll be a week for them next week. So you can imagine why residents would be would be uh, very nervous about the prospect of two of these weeks back to back. But she's calling for expulsions from college and she's calling for arrests and charges to be brought. I wonder would you agree? 1850-715-996. Now Adrian... McLaughlin, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Now, Adrian, where I saw the video. Where exactly in Kinsale is this sewage coming in? Oh, actually, it's, well, this is we actually usually uh, we when I don't know where we are. We're actually from a, a different part, and the call that I got, I didn't really was thinking was talking about uh, on the sewage, but the, this this actual port here where it actually happens is behind the Trident. And okay. near, the, near the RNLA. I know. Yeah, yeah. And it's just coming out raw sewage out into the water. Yes, the, yeah, that's actually that's what was uh, put out there. Yeah. Right. I where, mean, where is it coming from? 
I absolutely don't know. I said, uh, I'm from, just only coming from the, talking in the area that we were hearing that there, there was issues in around that portion for a while. But uh, <clears throat> the fact that there's raw sewage going straight into the water is very worrying. Because mm-hmm. Kinsale does have a drainage system, I assume. Yeah, there was a new drainage system put in there. I, I must be, I, I'm going by time, I said, with 10 years ago. Right. I mean, the whole Kinsale was dug up and I think it was over the, about two years and every summer it was put down again so the tourists come in but then from about September up until about April or May it was all dug up. So yeah, there's plenty of money spent on this, on this uh, drainage system. Right. Presumably you've made a complaint to the county councillor or approached your local county councillor. Well, for, for, for that one I would hope that somebody has done it, right? Um, I know from where we are living uh, further down the road we've, we've had lots of issues towards... Uh, with, with the smells as well coming from uh, the the water treatment plant and uh, and the actual infrastructure itself and we, and we've been reporting that for for months on end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, since with July I think we've got about 100 reports right. and then we're going back a couple of years I'd say going back to 2006 when we were reporting issues with smells around the area so is that that's been going on for a long time and they're saying that they're looking at it and they're gonna they're looking at the infrastructure and give them time but like we've heard this over and over again, like so. So I I don't know I, I do I don't know at this stage do they actually know what they're looking for or do they actually really actually want to solve the problems you know. Okay. All right. Well, well. See if there are any of the local councillors down there know any more and can help. Adrian, now you came out of work to take our call. Thank you very much. That's Adrian McLaughlin. Uh, that down there by the Trident Hotel, raw sewage coming into the water and can say, we we would think would you not that in 2021 almost into 2022 we have reached the end of the days of raw sewage pouring into the sea but not according to Kinsale 185715996 this came in and it's quite a long comment uh, I'm going to read it and see I, I can't remember this person's name either but I do know there has been talk of entering an endemic phase at the end of a pandemic phase. But what I did hear over the weekend was a comment to the extent that we're not going into an endemic phase anytime very soon. But uh, Carlos says, I missed his name, but there was an official on the television last night, a medical professional, who was saying we're now entering an endemic phase after the epidemic phase, and I am terrified. I have seen the results of this virus. I preferred when it was an epidemic because I clung on to the hope that we could eventually be rid of it. I would take any restriction rather than this new world of random young people getting long COVID with lung problems, kidney problems and so on. It'll be a world of old people terrified of young people and young people terrified of harming old people, their grandparents, their bosses, their teachers. I'm telling you, the government needs to set up helplines when the full impact of this sinks in with people. People will be in despair. I do not agree that we've had the worst of it in the pandemic. We've had the whole of our lives in front of us and a year or two of anything, I would just chalk it down to experience. But a lifetime of this, that is terrifying. That's a comment that concerns me because I've started in the last while looking not at the daily cases. I've almost started, for me now saying this, to almost be ignoring the daily cases. That's a new one for me. But I'm looking more at patterns and trends now. And yesterday, for example, there was 1,394 new cases. But there were 19 new hospital admissions. But seven people had been discharged. 
and there were 321 cases in hospital, which is down. And then only one person had been admitted to ICU in the previous 24 hours. There were 58 in total in the ICU, which is again down a bit. So those patterns are going down. Also, the number of tests completed in the last seven days, the positivity rate in testing has gone down. A week or two ago, it was nearly eight and a half, nine percent Now it's down to 6.1%. So those patterns are good. The five-day moving averages, the seven-day moving averages, the, four, the, the, the case numbers per 100,000, still very high, but going down and going down slowly, which is good to see. Am I going to that now? I am. Okay. Noel, good morning. You wanted to talk about the students. Sure. Well, uh, not necessarily. Yes, yes, about the students and and uh, what I witnessed on uh, Monday morning. I was walking from the lock area down to UCC, mm. uh, down Highfield Avenue. Now the avenue was strewn with bottles, cans, broken glass. Um, it was absolutely disgusting. But what really struck me was the human feces oh, on the street. Oh God! Now you have. Uh, you're walking in in your own locality, and you 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 come across toilet paper and human feces strewn around the 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 footpath. Very upsetting. Very upsetting. Very dangerous, to say the least. That's well, a that's a public that's a public absolutely. health problem. Absolutely, uh, but it it is it's it would where, turn where your stomach. This, it, is, it is disgusting. Uh, on Highfield Avenue, oh, fifty meters from UCC, up around the corner from the shop. Up, just up from Clifford's. Frankie. Wow. It's striking. It's, it's, it's something I've never seen before in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we're, we're aware and we've seen, as a resident in the area, we've seen people um, urinating in people's driveways, people coming out of houses and urinating and going back in because there isn't space in the house for people to go to the toilet. But this was... Absolutely disgusting. Yeah, yeah, and I know, I know where you're talking about. That's very close to UCC. Like that's maybe maybe a hundred, hundred meters away around the oh, around the corner. Fifty meters max. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's an awful thing to be seeing. And I take it you're a resident there long term, are you, Noel? Yes. So compare what happened last Sunday to previous years. Well, last Sunday's level of... Uh, no, it wasn't on the street that I lived on, but I have friends and neighbours who live on that street who were absolutely disgusted. There's an, an 86-year-old lady um lives at Magazine Road. Uh, she sat in her chair the whole night, mm. afraid for her life. Yeah. You had you had people uh, making threatening and sexualised... Um, uh, actions against my neighbours who are on the street. Yeah, yeah. That's bad. That's bad. You heard what uh, Catherine Tansy was saying a while ago, that people who in- engage in that kind of behaviour should be expelled or at very least charged and arrested. Would you agree with her? I would agree completely. Uh, the, the level of thuggery uh, and misbehaviour, criminal behaviour, is absolutely unacceptable in any community. And I do not believe it would be accepted by any community. All right. Noel, thank you. 1850-715-996. Yeah, any student that breaks the law, this is another message, any student that breaks the law and shows total disrespect for the people living in the area should be brought before the court and expelled from college. I would totally agree with Catherine. Remember this a few years ago. It was a senior guard. I won't name the man for the simple reason that I can't fully remember which one it was. But it was a very senior 
Garda when it was put to them that, look, why don't you arrest these people and charge them? And the explanation was along the line of, well, look, if you, if you, if you have a conviction at that early in your life, it can affect you in your future and you mightn't get into America and you mightn't get into Australia. So they tried to just deal with people without the necessity for convictions and they tend to, to break up gatherings rather than arrest people unless they've absolutely no option. Um, I don't know if that one holds any water anymore. Uh, Carla says, is, is it not against the law to be making noise in your home after 10 o'clock at night? That I do not know, Carla. Listening from Spain, John says, I was a student once myself many years ago. Did not behave like what I'm hearing. All I can say is the lady who wants arrests and expulsions is correct. As what greater lesson in life would the, is there that all actions have consequence? On Ian Bailey, there's a good comment in which I'll read in a while. But yeah, if you haven't seen, there's another true crime if you want, story uh, on RT the last two Monday nights, and I think it should well be on the player, although you never quite know what the bleeding RT player, do you? It should be there, uh, is the murder of uh, Father Niall Malloy uh, in 1985. Brilliant work by my pal Sharon Lawless and a big team on a mystery, a total mystery of what exactly happened on that night in 1985. Super, super piece of work, well worth watching. I'll read the the comment in a little while but the most recent report from St Vincent de Paul has shown a marked increase in the number of people accessing their services uh, particularly here in Cork. Now Catherine Harford works with a lot of families in Cork and she sees firsthand the effects of poverty particularly at times of high expense like back to school which are just about out the back of that and then the next one of course will be Christmas and Catherine sees frequently how it all impacts on the lives of children here in Cork. Morning, Catherine. Morning, how good, are you? Good, good Thanks to speak for with you. Me on. Are you seeing an increase in child poverty in Cork? Well, I suppose um, we it, it, poverty, child poverty, there's no actual agreed definition. It kind of is a bit of a complex issue in some ways. There are um, over 700,000 people in Ireland who um, are considered living in poverty um, and uh, a quarter of those, over a quarter of those are children. Mm. Um, And that's the largest group within the figures. So children um, represent the biggest number of people who live in poverty in Ireland. Um, And you're most at risk of experiencing poverty or at risk of poverty um, based on where you live, uh, your family structure, um, the health of adults in the house, Mm. the educational levels, whether your ethnic um, group that you um, come from, your migrant status, these kind of things really affect um, what um, the likelihood of children to experience poverty. Yeah. and 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 another part of that as well is we talk about this term deprivation and i suppose we have a very kind of traditional older way of looking at what deprivation is you know whether a whether a person has access to a pair of shoes a warm coat for winter um to buy to be able to buy new clothes those kind of practical things but it also goes into 
whether you can meet socially with other people, whether you can participate in activities yeah. and groups. There's a kind of along a checklist, peers, isn't there, Catherine? Yeah. There's a kind of a traditional yeah. checklist of eight or nine items, and it says if you can That's say right. yes to more than three of these, you, you're on the verge of yeah. poverty. What what yeah. impact yeah. does does it have on a child? Like it has immediate impacts. I suppose short term impacts is a, 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 in terms of. Um, child's well-being, their ability to participate in school, um, to be um, to be able to participate in social gatherings. You know, we just had this big. Um, you know, the communions have come back and things like that. So these are all things that um, cost materially for people. They cost money, um, and um, uh, and it's about how children feel about how they are with their peers and their groups. So it's about their confidence and their self-esteem and their self-worth, I suppose, which is very, very important. Um, and you you talked about going back to school there now, I suppose, um, you know, the cost of going back to school is very significant. Um, you know, St. Vincent de Paul, Bernardo's, other charities that have also kind of talked about this. Mm. Um and also, I suppose we also have an out-of-school culture here as well, which is amazing. You know, um, sports groups, drama, arts, dance. These are all things that have to be paid for in addition to um, in in addition to what we are provided through the state, I suppose, through the school system. Yeah, so yeah. All, it's all expense all at the well. end of the day. It's yeah. all, ex- it's it all expense. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you've you've yeah. commented on Twitter quite a lot about prevention of poverty in, in many forms. What do you mean by that? Like, is, it po- is, it, is it possible, do you think, to prevent or eliminate child poverty? Like, I do think that there are some kind of key policy decisions that do impact on on child poverty. So you saw during the last recession, child poverty went up significantly, the number of children who experienced poverty. And then it started to come down as policy decisions, kind of, you know, in terms of um, um, investing in children and children's services in in the welfare system and things like this. Um, And we need to continue that path um, because there are, especially now with COVID, you know, children have been at home while schools have been closed. The cost of um, providing for children while they're at home. And we'll see all those figures kind of transpire over the next kind of couple of years mm. as to the true impact of the of COVID. Um, so there's kind of those big, comp- there's those big issues that I suppose government and politicians have to deal with yeah. um, to re- and their policy decisions. And then at a more local level, there is many things that we can all do, I suppose, um our work in particular looks at um how we can support children um through their relationships with within their schools within their preschools within their health services um and and you know lots of things that parents can do we should never judge parents for the for the for the situation they're in we just support and strengthen their relationship and at the end of the day it doesn't matter how many toys and things that you have around you children um i suppose really they want relationships in their life and they're the things that are going to 
kind of buffer and help them through the stresses and normal stresses and strains of life and will help them to I suppose achieve their potential so they're the sorts of things we can work on and I think that the the kind of bigger structural decisions are the things that kind of policy and government and the state need to work on so a lot lot of families of course Catherine would have been affected by the pandemic to the point of you know spending many many months on on a PUP or or indeed the job or the work gone completely and that's post-pandemic one could one would fear an explosion in child poverty well we don't we don't know that yet you know we'll Mm. we'll have to wait to see to see what what comes out but there are definitely you know early signs we've done little bits of research ourselves and and others are doing it nationally that 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 these these are you know there are there are a number of children in long term childhood poverty but there is this whole at risk group as well so like that people who um are on who are long time unemployed but also those that are working poor mm. as well yeah. um and you know and when we talk about those other risk factors that I talked about earlier so your family structure um, you know, if you're a single parent household, you're much more likely to um, experience poverty. And also, if you think about homelessness and housing, how important housing is in terms of the well-being um, of children as well. So these are all really important. Okay. And you talked about the impact on children. Um, this is lifelong, you know, so we have to think about um, poverty impacts um, our health, our actual health. So, you know, there's been lots of talk today about the healthcare system. Prevention and early intervention is so important because actually poverty costs the state in the long run and it costs individuals. So mm-hmm. if we can reduce this and, and help children to get, I suppose, off to the best start, then we're looking after those children throughout their lives and and it helps the state as well. All right, I'm going to leave it there for today. Catherine, thank you. That's Catherine Harford. She's manager of Let's Grow Together Infant and Childhood Partnerships. Uh, points to think about with regard to child poverty. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Just there before 10 got word of a crash outside Mox on the Bandon Road. Uh, the traffic lights have been out of order there for a few days so even if they manage to get the roads clear up quickly do take care and the council please come and fix the lights crash outside mocks I hope nobody is too uh, too badly hurt or indeed hurt at all there 1850 715 996 on the students Gary says throw them into a cell for the night put the frighteners on them simple as that that'll calm them down a small bit. On that thing, is it not against the law to be making noise in your home after 10 o'clock at night? It is actually against the law. Uh, you can be complained for noise, unacceptable levels of noise in your home after 10 o'clock. Someone can call the guards and say, listen, there's an awful lot of noise coming out of number 26 and we can't sleep. They can. 
So there you go. I should have known that. 1850-715-996. There's a few stuff, bits and pieces of stuff still coming in on the Ian Bailey interview. One or two comments in particular that I do want to get to. Also, uh, this comment from Cahill. I read a report at the weekend that 54% of people with COVID in hospital have been fully vaccinated. So people should still be very careful. I've also noticed a lot of places not checking COVID passes anymore or taking or not taking names for contact tracing. Is it now a free for all? Well, anywhere I was the weekend, Cahill, my pass was checked. Uh, one place they didn't ask me to show ID with it because they knew me. But certainly my pass was checked everywhere I was at the weekend. A couple more of those Ian Bailey comments. I'll read them in a wee while. Let's look at this America's Cup story. The Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, has said that they're currently doing their due diligence on this idea to host the America's Cup. This is the biggest and oldest sporting event. It's older than the Olympic Games. It's a massive sporting event. It could be worth, they say, half a billion to the economy, not to mention hundreds if not thousands of jobs over the coming years as we prepare to have it in 2024. It also looks like we're pretty much the favourites now because Valencia has pulled out and that was in Spain and Jeddah in Saudi Arabia is considered highly unlikely because a lot of the American teams wouldn't travel there. It would cost us about $150 million to put it on but the chances are you'd probably make maybe 500 million out of it. Owen English has a very good piece in the examiner this morning where he asks the question, is it too big an ask coming out of the pandemic to fork out 150 million to a big sporting event for the mega rich, if you like? Like we don't have homes, hospital beds or enough schools, but we should, shouldn't, does that, you know, should we be forking out this much? on a sporting event, which is a very interesting piece of analysis. Erston Young, though, says that to spend, or to make, you need to spend, and they have a big report done on it. Let's go to Cove, uh, to Cove Tourism and Hendrik Verway. Hendrik, good morning. We're expecting to get a decision in the next... Well, we were expecting, we were expecting it today or the next couple of days, but now it's off for a week or so. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, well, I suppose just bring it on, I think, bring on the decision, and then bring on the event, and hopefully Cork is is going to be the chosen venue. Andrew, can you get a bit closer to your phone there? It's quite muffled on me. Get a little bit closer from me if you could. Yeah. Is that better, PJ? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, so bring it on. Hopefully we'll get positive news and, um, you know, it'll be a massive event for Cork Harbour. It'll be a massive event for the whole south of Ireland and it'll be a massive event for Ireland, you know. It's going to put us on the world stage. What do you make of the point that that Own English is making in the examiner, though? Look, 150 million euro to host an elite event but we don't have enough hospital beds, homes or schools Yeah, PJ, you can you can say that about lots of things, you know, but you, you know, as Ernst Young will say you need to speculate to accumulate and you know, it's not really an elite event obviously the the people racing in it and, and the, the providers of the boats and all that, you know the, there's lots of money around there but because of the way Cork Harbour is situated, you know, there's multiple vantage points right around the harbour. And this will be an event like the Tall Ships is still spoken about. Um, you know, people still talk about it, but sure. this, that's, and that's the watch by an event now. like this. Yeah. yeah. 
And, you know, this is an event that goes on over a number of weeks. The build-up takes two years. Okay, there's there's investment in infrastructure, but that infrastructure doesn't go away, you know, when this event is over. That infrastructure has, has to be repurposed and reused. And, you know, this is going to be a massive event for the people of Cork and for, you know, it's a massive opportunity to, I suppose to showcase the south coast of Ireland and, and I suppose it, it does at this stage seems to be ours to lose with the withdrawal of Valencia and the unlikelihood that the Americans will go to to Saudi now we also though the last venue in New Zealand would appear at least from some stuff you read to have lost money so you know you can, it's, 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 it's hard to know Henrik the line isn't the best but certainly the mood around Cove seems to be bring it on. That's Hendrik Fairway from Cove Tourism. The mood around Cove would appear to be bring it on. What we now know is that Minister for Public Expenditure, because in order to, like he's responsible for spending taxpayers' money, uh, Michael McGrath, so he's got to do a due diligence on it. He's got to examine it, say, right, we've got to spend X. Here's the possible earnings of Y. There would be massive infrastructure involved, like the major upgrade of the Cork to Cove rail link of the Cork to Cove Road, major upgrade needed in Bell Valley Bridge. You'd need to do a load of work around Kennedy Quay uh, because that would be the, the racing village. So there'd be a ton of work, like 100 million euro worth of infrastructure work, but as Henrik then says, that's there forever. That's not all pulled down the morning after the event. That is there forever. And Ernst and Young reckoned the event would be worth 500 million to the economy would attract two and a half million visitors. That's colossal. Generate between two and four thousand jobs and lead to a load of long lasting legacy benefits. So we'll see where it goes. We won't know anything for a few days. We were supposed to know it today, maybe, or tomorrow, but we won't. We won't know it now for quite a while. 1850 715 Um Caller says on the Ian Bailey interview. I watched the interview and I thought it was sad and unfortunate. He said the people were feeding off the carcass and he was right. But unfortunately, as a member of the media, he doesn't see it. I really believe that. The media has a lot to do with the circus this case has become. They're not asking the right questions. and They're fixing their gaze on a man the criminal justice system say they're not investigating. If Ian Bailey doesn't want to die in the next year or two or three because his health is clearly falling apart, he should move out of the area and stay away from the media. He probably feels sympathetic to reporters looking for a story and feels he can talk to them on their level as one of them. Sadly, it doesn't work like that. I lived in that part of the world working and let me say I picked up many hints of what he was saying last night and I'm amazed it was let on air. Many people in the area picked up on what he was saying too. Maybe they'll just say I was imagining it, but I don't think so. If he was saying what I think he's saying, I agree with him. Well, I have no idea what you're saying, but there was a lot of rumour, I know. And a lot of stuff brought up in the interview last night. And one more. Oh, I'll do that. I'll do that. Listen, there's. I, I said at the top of the program that you needed to update your iPhone software if you're an iPhone user. I just done mine, and or an iPad or a Mac, any Apple product, watch any. You need to update them, and update them this morning. I mentioned that you know you see something coming into your phone oh update now we are hardwired or at least at this stage we should be hardwired to be afraid of anything that says you need to do this now you need to download this now we're kind of hardwired on this occasion we need to make an exception Adrian Weckler is tech editor of the Irish Independent Adrian good morning to you 
Good morning. We are hardwired to be wary now, but on this occasion, we need to do it. Why? Because for the first time, there's a very, very serious security flaw, vulnerability uh, discovered in iPhones, uh, courtesy of a very sophisticated uh, piece of software hack developed by an Israeli company that is typically used by to fight terrorists. Apple has uh, put out an emergency security patch mm. um, to to protect your 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 iPhone or your Mac or your Apple Watch. What this basically does, if it gets into your phone, is it can activate your camera, your microphone, it can record calls, get into messages, um, look at all of your your data, and unlike other types of hacks or cyber attacks, you don't have to tap on anything mm. um, for this to happen. Normally, when your phone or your computer gets infected, normally you're sort of an agent in that yourself. There's something that you do. Maybe there's a an email or a text message that you might answer that says something like, um, you know, uh, oh, there's a package uh, waiting for you. You need to t- tap on this link to get it. With this attack, there's none of that. It just actually enters your oh. your iPhone. Right. So you don't actually let it in. It gets in un- unbeknownst to you. Nope. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the way to fix this, Apple has, has released an emergency security fix. Now, if you have, I'll just say an iPhone. Uh, so this is not Android phones, although it may well affect Android phones as well. We don't know, but... Certainly, Apple has acknowledged it. If you have an iPhone, you just go into your settings mm. and you'll see general and then software update. So mm. settings, general, software update, and you'll see it sitting there and download it. Right, right. It, it, will it has it have has it automatically been pushed to the phones, or do you have yes. to go looking for it? It's been no. It's pushed to the phone. So let's say you have an iPhone in front of you and you go into your settings, which is the symbol with the, the sort of the gear cogs on mm. it. it. About the 10th or 11th choice there, you might have to scroll down one page, but it's, it says, um, when you go into settings, it says general. Mm-hmm. And when you tap on that, you'll see a few things. And one of them is software update. Mm-hmm. When you tap on that, it, it, it will tell you, you know, iOS 14.8, you know, you know, implement now security yeah, was a, it was et marked et as urgent when I opened it up last night which yeah. again I was Adrian in this times where we're always very careful of what, what we download I was mm. half afraid of that but on this on this occasion make an exception and do it yeah now just to be very clear about this um, this is the kind of update notice that you would see you know, from Apple, you know, on your iPhone. I, I know it can be hard and confusing sometimes to tell the difference between scams and what's real. Yes. I suspect most people will probably recognize on an iPad or an iPhone, um, you know, Apple saying, like it doesn't come in via text message yes, or email. Yes, it this, comes this in is, via the settings, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And for the, I would be one of these people, Adrian, that when an iOS is updated, I'll always give it a month or so for them to iron out the mm. bugs and then and then download the new version. On this occasion, go for it now. I'd say go for it now. Now, like this is Apple calls it iOS fourteen point eight. Yeah. They actually have their new major system update ready, which is called iOS 15. That'll be rolling out in the next few weeks. Typically, what happens between the major updates 
is they'll put out a few, you know, incremental ones or marginal ones. It'll be a security bug here or a usability function there. And it's not the end of the world, usually, if you don't download those or implement those. You should really implement this one. Okay. Now, look, just, just to be completely clear about this, if you don't, you know, this doesn't mean that your iPhone is hacked. It just means you that could the be. vulnerability is there that it could be. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Leave it there for now. Thank you very much. That's Adrian Wechter, tech editor of the Irish Independent. Uh, Anne says, I haven't received a notification. Should I worry? Go into your settings and on your iPhone, look for general, then look for software updates and tap that and it will find it and put it in, is what Adrian says. I wonder how many people have iPhones and how many people have Androids that are listening to us this morning. I know I've had an iPhone. I got my first iPhone, oh God, the 3, iPhone 3G or 3S or whatever they called it. And I'm on an 11 right now and I'll probably change to a 12 or whatever they have then come February or March when I have a new contract. But I tried. I looked at the possibility of going Android a few years ago and I just like my iPhone. Whereas we have a, we have an Android man two doors down from me here. Fergal Barry, who constantly says this, he loves the Android. And he, but look, it doesn't actually matter. If, you're, if you have an iPhone or an, or an Apple Watch or whatever, you need to download this software patch now to make sure that you can't be hacked by this strange software that will get in and open your microphone and open your camera and do all sorts of weird stuff. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Let's fly through Tuesday afternoon together. We'll do it from midday. All your favourite tunes, latest news, showbiz, entertainment, biggest stories trending online, the perfect soundtrack to get you through the day. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Dick wants to know what you do if you have an older Apple device that isn't quite up to iOS 14. A good question. We might just message Adrian and see, can anybody help? Can he help with that? If you've got a more modern Apple device, but I have a little iPad I've had for years and it's only, it's got it's four or five years old now at this stage and it won't go anywhere near right, the iOS 14. So I just have to hope and pray that it won't get get hacked. Although it's it's uh, probably not. I, I only use it for, really for work. I don't use it in a big way. So anyway, we'll see. 1850 715 Oh yeah, you need 7 gigabytes free on the phone to perform the update. And must be app update iPads as well. Yes, 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 yes. If you if your iPad will take you need 7 gigabytes free. That's right to perform the update. Uh, yeah, thanks Tim. 1850715996. Now, we were looking at CAO results and points and people getting courses here and not getting courses there and crazy situation with the CEO points this year and whether anything will ever be done about it, we don't know, do we? But one thing that have is, is good to talk about are PLC courses, post-leaving cert courses. There are dozens of them. And a lot of people who didn't get their desired CEO points last week might be advised or well advised to take a look at some of them because they're, they can be very, very useful. Deirdre Creighton is the access officer at MTU. Deirdre, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, thank you. There are so many of these courses out there. Tell us what they are first. 
Absolutely. There are a huge array of courses um, within the further education colleges across the island of Ireland. But um, in Cork, we're very fortunate in that we do have, um, you know, a, a large number of um, further education colleges providing lots of different programmes of study for, for, um, for students. Um, and they can be in any discipline from art, computing, business, sport, social studies, culinary, science, engineering, you name it, there's there's a huge array of, of courses on offer. Um, so we're, as I said, we're very lucky in Cork. We have, we have um, you know, a number of different further education colleges, I suppose. The it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Largest um, in Cork City would be St. John's um, Central College in mm. Sawmill Street, College of Commerce in Morrison Key and Colossus Stefanifa and Tremor Road. So um, they would be very well recognised and have very good reputation in terms of providing, mm. um, you know, further education opportunities for students. And if you complete a PLC course and are successful at it, what opportunities does it open for you on top of a CEO points level that you might have okay. got this year? Yeah, well, I suppose students would, um, you know, take take on a, a PLC course or a further education course um, for a number of different reasons. Some would do it for, we'll say, employment opportunities, but others might consider taking it with a view to progressing on to further or higher education. Um, so it, it can lead to a multiple or a range of different um, positive outcomes for students. Um, students generally at further education level study at level five or level six, mm. um, which is within the national qualifications framework. Um, and just to kind of, I suppose, for your listeners, the level five at, um, is, is where the Leaving Cert is currently um, pitched within that framework. So students are studying at um, a level five, if generally speaking, if they're studying for one year in a PLC course, it leads to a level five qualification. And if they study for two years, it leads to leads to a level six. 
six qualifications. So they're moving along the, the national qualifications framework. And I yes. suppose the idea of that is that students can take a step-by-step approach and they can move from one level to the next level. Right. And I suppose our role within MTU is to, um, I suppose, recognise those various levels and the, the various pathways that students can take and allow for that easy transition from one level to the next. Okay, all right. Stay there, Deirdre. Let me bring in. Let me bring in Bernie. Um, you've been through this system, Bernie, and it worked out for you. Good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. So, um, what happened? So, I suppose um, my own background. Um, when I was in school, I kind of didn't have much interest in being in school and. Um, didn't do great in my leaving cert, but um, I, I just didn't have the interest really, and I didn't put the effort in. So um, I suppose in back in 2012, I kind of found myself in a position where I was a single parent of two boys and in a job where my hours were being cut drastically. Mm. Um, so I suppose I was worried that I would end up with no job and I didn't have any qualifications to fall back on. So I decided to do a FETEC Level 5 course, um, business studies course in... Um, in St. John's College in Cork. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose I was really anxious of doing it, that, you know, returning to education and that would I be able for it or anything like that. But I found um, that I was doing really well in it and I got lo- loads of help there and they, um, the career guidance and the teachers there and everything, they couldn't help me enough. Um, and from there then there was a link um, from that course into um, MTU yeah. to do... Um, a level six higher certificate course um, in business studies, yeah. and that was for two years. So I decided, right, I'm I'm going to do this, and uh, I finished that, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go on to the next level. So mm. I went on to level seven. Then um, I suppose I had a choice. Then we could either go down um, accounting, management, or marketing. So I said, right, I'll. Um, and I, I suppose I, I would have been creative in school. I loved art and everything. And I said, right, marketing would be using my creative side. Um, so from level seven, I said, right, I'll, I'll just get over that. And, you know, I found that I was doing well in that as well. So I said, right, that's it. I'm going to do mm. fourth year now, get my level eight. So, mm. yeah, in 2017, then I um, I graduated with um, first class honours. So it really, really worked out for me. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. And I yeah. think... What what I'm hearing in your voice is that it was much easier to do this at your own pace. Definitely, you know, the I you know I found the step by step approach um, definitely worked for me. That if you know, I suppose I took every year as it came, and um, you know that I'd focus on that year, and then I, I, I then I just progressed. I wanted to progress, you know, mm. to the next what, level. What gives you the urge to progress? It, it, it's kind of it, you, when you did the level five. Is it that you realise, well, I've done this, now I can try something else? And then when you've done the sixth, same, is that the same thing? It, it basically is really. Like, you know, um, I suppose I was a mature student. Um, I did, you know, I was thinking, this is my only chance now, you know, you either do it or not. Um, I suppose I had two boys as well. Um, they were a big motivation for me yes. um, to try and do well and try and get a good job out of it in the end. Um, Deirdre was very good to me. I... I Worked a lot with her before, while I was a student um, and with the mature student officer there. Um, and I ended up getting an internship in the Access office. Um, and then I progressed on to working in the Graduate Studies office in MTU now, which is where I currently am. Excellent. So, I mean, I really have, you know, 
I've, I would totally recommend people to um, go back to education if you're thinking about yeah. it because you won't regret it. You can't regret getting an education, I think. Because you know the, I mean? the, the, the points last week were just bunkers and a lot of people yeah. were disappointed or got choice number seven or choice number eight in some, in some cases. What yeah. would you say to them? Give a, give a, um, give a PLC a, a think at least. Oh my God, definitely. I mean, do not rule it out. Um, I mean, there's so many options out there. There's so many courses there. Um, and, the, and like, you know, uh, St. John's College, um, Colossus, Stephane and College of Com, they want their students to do well as well and to progress further as well. So, I mean, not to give up, you know, there's yeah. roundabout ways of getting where you would like to be. And sometimes, you know, you might take a different route altogether. You know, you might find that you might um, enjoy a different aspect of what you would have yeah. wanted to do in the first place, you mm-hmm. know, to, you know, it's... it's might get a whole different perspective. That, you might get exactly, a whole yeah. different perspective. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I never thought, I mean, if you would ask me years ago that I would have um, done marketing in MTU and know I would be working in there, do you know what I mean? I wouldn't have believed you, you know? Yeah. So, um, definitely, you know, there's, there's ways and means of getting where you would like to be. Yeah. And she's she's a real success story, isn't she, Deirdre? Absolutely, she's she's um, <laughs> she, she's she's very regularly called upon to share her story. She's a great story. Well, she does it. Yeah. She tells it very well, and she gives a lot of positivity <laughs> and a lot of hope to people who are a little bit dark at the moment. They're 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 struggling with the last couple of weeks and points and whatever you have yourself. There's hope there. Think about a PLC. Uh, there's loads of them out there and you can lead to success like, like it did with Bernie. Thank you, Bernie Lehan, and also Deirdre Creedon, who is the access officer at MTU. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The High Kings bring their home from home tour to Cork Opera House on Thursday, January 27th next year. Tickets are available now from the Opera House box office. Access all areas. Following the sellout success of last year's adaptation of The Snow Queen, Broken Crow returns with an original spin-off audio series for children titled The Little Robber Girl. It's broadcast from the Everyman Theatre on Monday 18th to Friday the 22nd of October with tickets on sale from the box office now. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Now, hiya, John, you've called the opinion line. We've we've gotten on to both here and to see what they can do about this, but uh, just tell us the problem anyway. Good morning. Hi. Hi good morning, PJ. Um, basically, um, well, first off, just give me a second to turn it's, the radio. Yeah, yeah there's a radio <laughs> behind you. It's, it might be worth switching it off, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if anyone is taking a call from us, by the way, uh, switch your radio off because there's a little digital thing that we do between here and the transmitter, and it'll bother you big time if you have the radio on while you're while you're talking to me. So, y- are you done? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So, so um, there is this uh, 
The situation is as follows. Um, there is an application that has been released by Transport for Ireland, and mm. it's called TFI Go, yeah. uh, which allows people to purchase tickets, individual tickets or packets of 10, okay. to use on public transport. And there are specific zones you can, where you can use, the, use it, including the corporate zone. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the situation is that the drivers on the bus routes do uh, do not know um, or let's say have not been informed maybe of this app, of this application and how it has to be used so as a result um, my daughter has been um, told well uh, it's not okay. We cannot scan that or something along those right. lines. And do you um, use? Sorry, John. Do you use your phone then to scan the ticket? You do. You don't actually scan the ticket. So what is happening? It's all on the TFI website. You just have to activate the ticket when you're boarding the bus and just show the driver that the ticket is active. I see. And on the phone, it is displayed. The ticket is is active for uh, ninety minutes. Um, which I presume would allow you travel on all of those on all the lines supported sure, by the ticket sure. within this period of time. But the driver, um, the drivers aren't familiar, aren't aren't aware of it, are they? That's what I suspect is a problem because twice now my daughter has been refused, not refused, has been told uh, that's not a valid app or they cannot scan it or something along those lines. Right. Um, on one occasion, she had. Uh, money to <laughs> pay for her trip, otherwise she would have have to walk, which is quite a long distance. On the other occasion, the driver was quite nice, nice actually, and allowed her to board the bus anyway. Uh, and I, I'm not, uh, I'm not taking anything against the drivers and actually thank them for being there. Yeah, you know, all this time it, it's just, it's just a bit frustrating. Um, yeah, and, the, and you the, say that she's actually waiting wait. for a leap card anyway, is she? Yeah, yeah, we're waiting for the leap card because Parnell Place is closed for business <laughs> with regards to leap card release or something like that. So we we, we found out we actually had to order it online and uh, we're, we're waiting for it to be delivered. Uh, but until okay. then, um, I think we'll just go with the um, pay uh, with Paying with money, regular, just to avoid any... Well, we've requested a statement from Bosserin on the basis of this, because I had read about that TFI Go app, which is a good idea, but because you get the Leap Card prices on it as well, it's cheaper on the bus. But we'll see, we'll see what Bosserin come, um, come back to us with. John, thank you very much for that. It's a new app. I don't know if anyone's tried it. Thank you, John. TFI Go, so you can, if you don't have a... a, a Leap card, you can buy bus tickets. You can buy eight of them or ten of them or twenty of them. And then when you want to go on the bus, you open the app, you activate a ticket, show it to the driver, and you're supposed to be able to go on board. But it doesn't seem to be working out so well for John's daughter. For the simple reason is with the best will in the world, the drivers don't either A know and about it or B don't know how to use it. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six on the America's Cup. This event is going to cost the taxpayers a lot of money. It could be put to better use. But if Simon Coveney wants it to go ahead, then he will get his way. Well, there's due diligence being done at the moment, caller. And they will say, right, it is going to cost a lot of money to put this on. But part of due diligence is wondering, well, 
is that going to be money well spent for the future in terms of infrastructure? So we'll know in a few days' time. Good call on the PLC courses. If a student has an applied leaving cert, can they then go on to do a course in one of these colleges? Uh, yes, we contacted Deirdre at MTU. Absolutely. The only thing he has to watch out for are the minimum entry requirements. So once you take that particular box, you're in, which is good. Reminded to you to join Trevor Welsh for Premier League Live Saturday from midday on 96fm.ie. It's all powered by TalkSport. This Saturday coming, live coverage of Wolves against Brentford at half 12. Liverpool v Crystal Palace at 3. Aston Villa versus Everton at half past 5 and all the post-match analysis that goes along with that. The Premier League Live online with now stream live Premier League action with the now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now and listen Saturday at 96fm.ie or on the Cork's 96fm app. If you open the app and go down to the other streams, you'll find it's there, Premier League Live. 1850-715-996. There is a fascinating case before the European Court of Justice at the moment and your newspapers are full of it today and the news shows were full of it last evening. It's the case, of course, of Graham O'Dwyer. Now, we know the history here. Graham O'Dwyer, architect originally from Cork, convicted in 2015 of the murder of a woman called Elaine O'Hara. She was a childcare worker. The murder happened in 2012. He was convicted, as we said, in 2015 of her murder. And the mobile phone data played a huge part of the way in which he was convicted. Now, in 2014, the European Court of Justice ruled that the law under which he was convicted, using the mobile phone data, was invalid. So now, the cases before the European Court of Justice... And it could have major implications for his conviction. Keenan Brennan is writing about this in the Irish Examiner today and does a good breakdown of the, the timeline here and, and puts it in language that us mere mortals can, can understand. Keenan, I suppose the, the real question is, is there any possibility at all that Graham Dwyer could walk free because of this? Good morning. Good morning, Chief. Um Well, of course there's a possibility, yes. Uh Better informed legal minds than my own uh, would suggest it's probably not uh, more uh, more probable than less probable. But uh, absolutely, he's already um, he's already succeeded with two appeals in the Irish courts on the back of this, mm. and this is why it's ended up in Europe because the Supreme Court is basically trying to figure out whether this is something that should be used that absolutely must be used to overturn his conviction or not, given that it happened uh, six years ago. Yeah. Now. The, 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 the court ruled in 2014 that our law was effectively mass surveillance and, and it had a problem with that. Yeah, so our law stems from 2011 and it itself was the adaptation of an EU directive from 2006 and that mandated that uh, the likes of mobile phone companies had to indiscriminately hold on to your phone call data, your text messages, etc., for up to two years. Uh, now, it was that 2006 directive that was um, basically written off by an application by uh, an Irish group called Digital Rights Ireland to the Court of Justice of the European Union in 2014, and they succeeded. Now, what that should have meant is that our law was basically invalidated and that it should have been updated. And the Court of Justice has since, on at least three occasions, 
uh, rubber stamped its own decision uh, to do with Digital Rights Ireland, which means they have reaffirmed their opinion that the law is wrong. And this is where uh, Graham Dwyer's appeal has succeeded, because basically his conviction was only obtained by the use, it was utterly reliant upon the use yeah. of uh, historic mobile phone data. Now, it was incredible police work, and they pieced together all his mobile phone data, and enough to, to, to put him there, enough to, to convict him. Uh, the murder was in 2012, the conviction was in 2015, but the ECJ intervened with the law in 2014. So is, is that what this is all about? Sort of. So Elaine O'Hara's body wasn't discovered until 2013, September, I think. And the mobile phones on which everything hung, hung upon were discovered the month before, in August 2013. So it's my understanding that a great deal of the investigation that went into what eventually uh, secured his conviction had taken place before the DRI uh, uh, judgment from the Court of Justice came in 2014. And now what the Supreme Court could end up relying upon, because in all likelihood, the Court of Justice will reaffirm what it's already done three times. Yes. What the Supreme Court might rely upon is a precedent in its own rulings, which is that if a conviction was secured by law enforcement, which had obtained that evidence inadvertently in an unlawful manner that it should still stand. Now, sorry, I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but it basically means that the Guardian didn't know that they weren't, weren't doing anything wrong. Yeah, if I'm to break down, then, what, you're, if, if I'm to break down what, you're, what you're saying to me here, Kiana, it's that the, it's the timing of the investigation is key. At the time exactly. that they were investigating and they were using this data, they were operating as they understood it within the law. Exactly. Right. And did the law so, change subsequently to that then? It, it did? No. Well, here's where so you, uh, you get a bit of an insight into the Irish state. Our law has never changed. In 2017, the then Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, told it all that he would have a new data retention bill. That's the name of the current act. And it would be raised to go by the end of 2017. That has never happened. The Department of Justice, I was dealing with them on this subject last November, and they said then, and they're saying now that we're going to wait on to see what, this, uh, what the Court of Justice of the European Union has to say before we draft our new bill. But basically, for seven years, we have had a data retention bill, uh, sorry, a data retention act that isn't fit for purpose. We're basically out of step with European law. Wow. Wow. So when will we know what the, you know, like you say, and you, you write very clearly in the examiner, that it's, it's, it's highly likely that the European Court of Justice will find in, in his favour. Uh, well, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to presuppose that because this has gone before the Grand Chamber of the, the Court of Justice, which yeah. is the most significant chamber they have. It's at least 13 judges, and it shows that uh, they're taking this very seriously. 13 yeah. other nations in Ireland have submitted on this because it has, yeah. it'll have after effects for yeah, a long you, say, you say in your piece, it is, would be very surprising if it did not rule in his favour. Yeah. I would see it as very surprising just simply because they've said the same thing constantly for the last seven years. Yeah. However, you know, the law is a funny thing. You may end up with some sort of nuanced judgment. Uh, but I think more likely they will reaffirm what uh, they have said before and then it will go back to the Supreme Court because it will be up to the Supreme Court to rule on the validity or otherwise of uh, Graham Dwyer's appeal. Uh, I think that's the most likely result because... When you've got seven years worth of precedent, it's hard to see that it's going to be overturned. Yeah, you're, we're going to. This this is going to be hanging around the courts then for a very very long time. Uh, well, 
you'll probably you're not going to hear what the Court of Justice has to say for about three months, right. and after that, the Supreme Court. Who knows when they'll rule? And then, well, no, that should be it, really, because if his appeal doesn't succeed at the Supreme Court, that's as far as he can go. And who's paying for all this, do you mind me asking? Or does anybody know? Do you know? Well, there. <laughs> we are, I suppose. Yeah, the taxpayer generally will fund it, yeah. Oh, God. That's how it works. Oh, God. Yeah, that's, that's the painful bit. All right, Keenan, thank you very much. Keenan Brennan, reporter with the Irish Examiner. I do recommend his stuff today uh, on this the analysis of this. When the guards used the data they were using to pinpoint Graham Dwyer for the murder of Elaine O'Hara, they believed they were acting within the law. That's their stand here. That's the state's stand. What happens in Europe happens in Europe. And then we kind of have to say, well, what happens now? 1850-715-996. Um, William, on the students and the antisocial behaviour and the other night and the things people have seen and told us they've seen, we are obviously in the process of becoming what is called a campus city in the States. The student body will become a very large part of the population. Maybe years ago, people didn't think it was bad because there was maybe 3,000 people in UCC. You'd hardly notice someone stepping out of line. But young people away from home mixed with booze always causes problems. We're going down an American route, and anyone who's been there, especially as a student, knows that hand in hand with that goes campus police, curfews, no drinking for the under-21s by law. Uh, could be a thing here, too, if they wanted to do it. And expulsion for antisocial behaviour. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. Well, that's a good point. We had When I was going to college, there was 3,000, maybe 3,000 people in UCC. Now there's more like 23,000 in UCC. And even if 1% of them are the ones causing trouble, do the maths. It's a lot worse than it was. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I mentioned, or I heard Fiona mention this yesterday, but I want to mention it again. Um, and that was, that was very sad to hear at the weekend of the passing of little Fionn Barry. Fionn was, um, his funeral took place yesterday in Ballyhay. He passed away at the weekend. He was only seven. He had multiple uh, difficulties to deal with in life. And I never met Fionn, but I spoke to his mammy on the programme more than once, far more than once. I spoke to her so often, in fact, to Brenda, that... I almost felt as if I knew him because um, she used to speak so lovingly uh, about him. Uh, she was, of course, a former uh, Carer of the Year. And I just wanted to, to remind listeners of the kind of conversations we used to have on the programme about Fionn and about Brenda and his daddy Trevor and his grandfather Pat and others and how they all got together to, you know, get Fionn through the tough times and during the election campaign back in 2020 I spoke to Brenda about the fact that the community had fundraised for a new wheelchair for Fionn and they had finally got the money and put it all together and how grateful 
that they were. I just wanted to have a, a listen to that, just for 30 seconds. You know, it's a very special wheelchair yeah. and it was 5,800 euros and it was the people in the community and the surrounding areas that helped us to buy that, not the HSE. How do you keep going? Oh God, I don't know. Do you know, there are days where I think I can't possibly go another minute. Then, you know, you get a little smile from him or something and it just makes you realise that God Almighty, I have to keep going for him. You know, he's all that we have. Trevor is my husband. He works very hard and he's working every hour that God sends. That was Brenda, Brenda Barry, um, Mammy Tufion, who passed away over the weekend and her uh, yesterday. And as Mammy said, Fionni, your suffering is over. Doty boy. 1850-715-996. We were talking last week about reusing your old clothes or your pre-loved, that's the new word, pre-loved clothes and how it reduces waste and maybe, you know, that old jumper or that old shirt that you were thinking of throwing out will either use it again or give it to someone who will use it again or, or whatever. But what about making your own clothes out of, wait for it now, waste, right? My daughter was involved in a project to do with this a couple of years ago, so I have some understanding of what junk couture is all about. But it actually is making your clothes out of household waste, and it is a huge movement now. In fact, I do believe that, Katie, you're in the United Arab Arab Emirates, and that's where you joined me from to talk about junk couture. Good morning. Good morning or good afternoon from the UAE, but PJ. What, 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 um, <laughs> what time is it there now? It's approximately ten past two, so we're three hours ahead. So uh, it's not too it's not too bad. <laughs> and and depress me even more. What's the weather like? Oh, oh God! Well, I don't know if I'll depress you because for your viewers, I don't think um, this sounds too appealing. Of forty degrees Celsius, approximately. I take um, it compared to what's outside my window right now. <laughs> to be honest, but that's just that's just me. Talk to us about junk couture, Casey, because it is a almost a global movement now. It absolutely is. And and PJ, for anyone listening as well, I'm actually a past contestant myself and competed in 2012. I'm from Athlone myself. And yeah, I've come the full journey through Junkature when I took part in secondary school and now working for the company. And it really is that movement. And we're now calling ourselves a global platform for youth creative expression because our goal is to enrich and empower the lives of young people through both creativity and, as you mentioned earlier, sustainability and fashion. Um, and what we offer to schools and to young people in second level education is a free to enter year round programme that challenges these students to create wearable fashion out of nothing but 100% recycled or upcycled materials before they then are challenged and, and mm. asked to perform and tell their backstories um, to the world in a series of digital live finals. And when I talk about recycled materials, I really mean um, junk and waste like and what, things what, that what we overlook. What kind of things, overlook. Katie? Well, for myself, my dress was made out of orange peel skin that I collected from a local juice bar. You know, they were discarding them and I dried them out with my teammates. We were 15 and 16 at the time and we tried to create um, a leather-like material. So we sewed the orange peel together. We had last year's winner, um, Synergy, who created their uh, garment out of milk cartons and seed glass that was washed up on our local beach. We've had film reel. Everything goes at Junket Shore. But you also have then some students that are looking at their parents' wardrobes, their families, their friends, the items of clothing that, you know, have the holes, they're discoloured, 
they're, they're seen as junk now and waste. You wouldn't even give them into a charity shop, you know, for people to wear again. And they're cutting them up, they're sewing them and they're creating really show-stopping garments. And it's, it's truly remarkable because yeah. when you think about it, these students are n- now viewing waste as raw materials for something new yeah. and and that's where what we're really passionate about it's it's how the program tackles climate change differently and we're challenging these young people to become micro influencers as we all know their generation is and they can make that change through creativity and circularity and their own self-expression and i think it's a wonderful thing yeah there's there's a guy well i, I spotted him around cork in the summertime wearing a most unusual suit it looked as if it was a patchwork of old suits, like an arm from one, and a, a a bit of a bit of a trousers from the other. It looked brilliant. That's the kind of thing you're talking about, isn't it? That's exactly it. And you know, with students who take part in Junkature, they're bringing that concept into their own personal lives. So, like you said. They're starting to make their own clothes. They're doing embroidery, little designs on old T-shirts that, oh, you know, I'm fed up with that now. I'm giving it a new life. They're now seeking to shop for more sustainable brands and products. They're upcycling their clothes. They're shopping secondhand. You know, these apps like Depop, charity shops, vintage Mm. stores. You know, there's a a trend called thrift flipping where they're buying secondhand and and then doing it up at home and adding colour to it with thread. It's it's a wonderful concept and, and it's all these small acts that will allow these yeah. young people to make an impact. Talk to me about this um, dress of yours made out of orange peels. <laughs> would, would, would we not smell you coming two streets away? <laughs> well, that is funny that you said that, PJ, because um, the the CEO of Junkature um, always says, Katie, I will never forget when I saw you. You were coming out of the lift. And he says, and I could smell you before I saw you. And I said, I well believe it. And that design um, that I created all those years ago still exists in my art room today. And although not smelling as fresh, I suppose. um, (laughs) But yeah, we just thought, you know, let's get really innovative here. And it's funny because now you see lots of brands adopting the same measures. You know, um, H&M brought out a pair of shoes uh, just last year made of pineapple skin. And it's that fashion as you know fruit-based fashion that you're seeing and then the science labs coming into it and trying to be innovative because the fashion industry is the second largest polluter in the world after the oil industry I'm sure you're aware Mm. and you know lots of clothes are made from plastic Um, when you wash them there's microfibers and microplastics that are being washed around our water and they go into the sea Um, and we're not told about that so it's now you have you know, scientists and lots of cross-departmental within schools we're seeing as well, science and art classes, home ec, but also then you have engineering classes and woodwork coming involved. And I think that's a really exciting thing because you can only imagine what our clothes will be made from in the future to be more sustainable. New new cleaner ways of of doing things. So if anybody wants to get involved in junk culture, I know you're in the UAE now and you're promoting it out there, but if anybody wants to get involved here at local level, where do they start? Absolutely. So Ireland is well underway. Um, we've lots of exciting things in store for the next season of Junkature. But anyone who is listening would love to get involved for the 2021-22 season can sign up their school now ahead um, ahead of the competition over on our website or on our Junkature app. 
And be sure to follow us on our social media networks because they can follow our launches across all these new countries. We've brought over all past Irish designs. There's some students that flew to London. They're going to Paris now at the end of the week as well. Um, and yeah, they can follow us on social media mm-hmm. for lots of upcoming news on the competition. Tell me, when you were there, probably... Um, pricking your fingers with a needle, trying to stitch bits of old <laughs> orange peel together. Did, did, did you ever, even the, even the thought of it, like I'm laughing, but did you ever think there was a career in it? I did. So I actually was a science background myself. I loved I loved chemistry and biology, but then I was also quite creative and I was arty. And, and for me, I wasn't a, a sporty kid growing yeah. up in school. Um, and my friends were, so between GEA and, and hockey and so on and so forth, I just felt like I lacked that sense of community um, or that celebration. You'd see the girls in the local newspapers and going off on the bus and talking about the crack they had. And I just felt there was nothing really for creative kids. And yeah. I found when I got involved with Junk Couture, I found, oh my God, the, yeah. this I could meet kids from Cork to say, and I was a girl from Athlone. And then these were, this was my community and yeah. myself of celebration. This, 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 from this my was family. your tribe. As it were. Did you yeah, ever think you'd end up working for the company though? But that's it. And I went, no, do you know what? I was always asked, would you ever want to study fashion design? And I didn't. I went over to Edinburgh and I studied dietetics, would you believe? Which is food-based, funnily enough. And um, and then junk, I was always involved in junkature workshops and um, they launched in Scotland. They did three years market research over there to see if there was an appetite in schools, not just in Ireland. And I was asked to be a student judge. Um, and I sat on a panel with Louis Walsh to my left and Una Healy from the Saturdays on my right. Mm. And I was 19 team and I thought oh this is just crazy I took part all those years ago I'm now 19 and I'm still involved in the juncture community roll on when I graduated in 2019 I came over flew to Ireland for a workshop juncture workshop in Wicklow and I was offered a job by Troy Armour the CEO of Junkature and he just said I'd love to have you on board. You've been involved in Junkature since 2012. I had some convincing to the parents that I wasn't going to use my degree. But um, two years later, and I'm the head of um, PR and communications at Junkature, and I absolutely love it. Good and you. can't wait to bring the mission, you know, globally. And that's why I'm here in Dubai today. <laughs> worth That was worth all the rooting through bins for the orange peels, wasn't it? <laughs> great, 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 great talking to you. And, and good luck with everything that you do with Junk Couture and junkcouture.com is where people can find out more to get involved. Katie Brill speaking to us from the United Arab Emirates. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Fam. Question nine. What item of clothing is often double-breasted? Bra. Oh. I don't Did know you the... say that a bra often comes double-breasted? <laughs> 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 like if he brought us to the two gram in a course uh? of, appeal, of appeals. <laughs> Could he technically win that case? I think he could. Oh, my God. Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at milldc.com. Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. When I think back to buying my first house and then buying my second house, I don't think you ever want to buy another one. The thoughts of sitting down to buy your first house, it, like it's the biggest purchase you'll ever make in your entire life. Like you'll go through maybe a half a dozen cars, but or probably more. But one, two, maybe three houses, and some people will buy a house and never move out of it. But the pros- the, the whole procedure of buying your house. Even get a cold sweat thinking about it now. There's a new property platform called Lintil, where they help you with that. That's what they do. That's their business. And their founder and CEO is Emmett Creighton. Emmett, good morning to you and welcome to the Opinion Line. Good morning to you, PJ. Uh, I think a lot of your listeners will share your anxiety about thinking back about when they bought their first home. And lots of them are thinking about it right now. So I'm delighted to be on. Yeah, it, it, it's something. What maybe two or three times in our lifetime is as much as most. Although I see in, in the UK, it's about every seven years now. But God, the prospect of doing that even fills me with more anxiety. I've done it twice. I don't particularly ever want to do it again. But doing it the first time is is nerve wracking. It is. It is, and you're dead right. I mean, the statistics show that Irish people. The UK is about seven years. In Ireland, it's about 12 to 15 years between home purchases. And as you said, some people will never buy a home again. They'll buy one and they'll never buy another one. Now, a lot of people often say that it's one of the most stressful things you can ever undertake after death, divorce, and then buying a house. So why would you want to ever do it again? So when we thought about this problem, um, this was something that was really kind of dear to me my whole life. My dad was in building, you know, he's building houses before he died. And then when I trained as a solicitor for the powers that be, put me back into property. So I was helping customers like you daily, trying to buy their first home and their second home. And from the start of the process, right through to the end, it was just endless stress. Despite there being really good service providers, such as solicitors, estate agents, banks, brokers, really good people in the industry, the the, the process itself is just an absolute nightmare. And that's where we decided to do something about it. Like you walk up, there's a wonderful house for sale, sign up. It's everything you could probably dream of. You might have access to money. You've got a, a deposit saved. You've been saving for a few years. But where do you know how to even start? So what do you... Well, have? that's it. Yeah, that's that's it. Well, well, a lot of people think like that, PJ, you know, and... They think, okay, I'll ask my mom and dad, I'll ask my friends, I'll ask somebody who's bought a house before, but everybody's experience is unique. And it's like, we often say it's like childbirth. You forget about it immediately after it happens. You're like, oh my God, that was just <laughs> so difficult. I don't want to think about it ever again. So giving advice to your friends and family is is all good and well, but that, that advice might be 10 or 20 years old. So, so what we decided to do, well, I'll give you a bit of background around myself and how this idea came about. I was, um, I was a private client solicitor for a large corporate law firm. So what that means is I had very wealthy clients that were outside of Ireland and they wanted to buy really nice houses in Ireland. And instead of getting to know the Irish home buying process, like all of your listeners will have to do, they just decided to say, Emmett, buy me that house. And when I fly into Dublin, I want to collect my keys and fly down to my house. So to buy a beautiful house down in Cork or a castle on the coast. Now, 
What they didn't understand was that the hoops that people have to jump through to buy the house is excruciating. So what they said to me is, Emmett, just get me the keys. Do whatever is necessary and get me those keys. Now, that's very expensive if you ask somebody to do the whole process for you. And what I decided to do was if I could digitize this process using the available tools and technologies that we have today, I could bring this to the everyday person on the street and make the process much, much easier. And that's what we've done. So do I come to you and say, get me the keys or do you accompany me along the way step by step? Yeah, so what we provide is a virtual home buying assistant. So PJ would come in and say, Emmett, I love this house in Kinsale. I go, okay, PJ, these are the things you should be looking for if you're buying your next home. And I'd give you a checklist of things to look out for. I'd give you some advice around what questions you should be asking the estate agent. And then I'd get you prepared to get your mortgage. Then your next question is, well, who do I get a mortgage from? There are 10 lenders in the Irish market. We'd help you navigate the mortgage process. Then we'd help you negotiate with the estate agent. Agent. Then we get you organized with a solicitor. We'd help you figure out the legal process. Then we help you insure the house, survey the house and connect your utilities so that we're with you from the start of the journey right through until you get your keys. And it's completely free of charge as well. That's the next bit. How How's that benefiting you as a business? Well, well, when we thought about this process, we said the one thing that people are very acutely aware of when they're buying a house is their finances and their funds because house prices, as all of your listeners will know, are going up and up and up. Mm. So if we decided to charge the home buyer for our service, then we thought this would be probably the straw that broke the camel's back. So we had to think creatively and say, how as a business are we going to make money without charging the home buyer? And what we do is we introduce PJ as our home buyer to each of the different services he needs on his home buying journey. And those services... Exactly. They pay me to introduce them to you. And then PJ goes, Emmett, I need the best bank or the best solicitor. And I go, PJ, this is the best one. And then I introduce the two of and then he pays me. Right. And because you're probably introducing me and, and, and a, a dozen more, maybe at a time, you're getting a, a mate's rates. So it works out for everybody. So Exactly, exactly. So we're negotiating currently, as of today, just before we were coming on air to chat with you, we've four and a half thousand home buyers who I'm negotiating for. So you can imagine the economies of scale I have. If you're going to your local solicitor saying, I want to buy this house, he's going to say, the price is X. Whereas if I go to your local solicitor and say, I can give you 1,500 people buying houses in this area, he goes, okay, I will give you a 10% discount across the board or 20% discount. And we do that with every service that you need when you're buying your home. So it's like a collaborative co-op of everybody buying homes at the same time so I can get the best providers at the best prices. Yeah. I'm looking for I'm looking for a hole in your argument here because it's kind of my job, <laughs> but I can't, to be honest. The, 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 the thing is, Emmett, that what is the, the, the most bothersome element to it all at the moment, really, is the, the price. Prices are going through the roof and trying to negotiate your way through sort of a house is on the market for argument's sake for 300 grand. And you reckon, right, you've got the financial wherewithal to go bidding on that. Before you know it, it's gone to 320 and 325. Can you help people with any of that? Well, some of the data around that, we can help you with with statistics and stuff like this. So what we've done is we've taken a survey of all the houses sold in Ireland over the last four years and the prices they were advertised at. And we can tell you with some confidence, if a house is advertised at X price, we can tell you where that house will end up being sold at. And I think one of the key 
the key benefits of our system is that we manage expectations. So as you say, a house is advertised for 300,000. And if you'd come into me and tell me that, now I know in and around Cork City, houses at the current uh, point in time will go 10 to 12% above that. So that house is going to sell for 32 to 332 to 335,000 euros. And what I'll tell you is that, look, PJ, if you don't have the buying capacity for that house, it's probably not something you should negotiate on. But if you do, I can tell you how to negotiate effectively. Move fast, go in uneven increments and get there before everyone else because the key driver is get to a yes or a no faster. If you're going up in drips and drabs, like 500 or 1,000 this week and 1,000 next week in six months time you'll still get to 335,000 euros whereas I can get you there in a week and if you can get there in a week you'll push everybody else out and if they still won't sell to you but then you can move on and find your next house and you eliminate months possibly even years searching for that next home as prices continue to rise it's all sounding great caller on the the phone here what about expat mortgages like an Irish teacher who worked in Arabia for years built up savings has come back with money but mortgage companies don't want to touch him. The problem with, with expats coming back to Ireland is you cannot get a mortgage, you cannot get a, a foreign mortgage for an Irish property because a lot of foreign banks won't won't lend to you if you're buying a house in Cork, let's yeah. say. Um, the other problem is his, his wages or her wages are from a foreign income and they can't be verified by an Irish bank. So the one piece of advice we would give to him is that if he's moving his wages consistently into an Irish bank account, then he just ticks the box. The bank says, okay, you're getting paid, it's from foreign income. If he can prove he's paid his taxes abroad and he will have his income for the foreseeable future. Now, the question they will ask is if he's going to buy a house in Ireland, are you going to live in Ireland and where will your income come from if you're a teacher in Arabia? So typically he has to have a job in Ireland for six months in order to get a mortgage in Ireland to buy an Irish property. Now, even that small bit of advice can be a nightmare to find that out. You may have to ring 10 different banks to find that. And even at that, the people you speak to at the bank will be consistently trying to sell to you instead of just cutting to the chase. You've probably told this man more in 30 seconds than loads of other people have told him in the last couple of weeks. So... Well, interestingly, like a large portion of our user base are, are, are Irish people that are abroad or people that have moved to Ireland that aren't Irish people and they can't understand how the system works. So one of the key things we do at the very start is figure out what do you know and what do you don't know and what sort of value can we add to, in order to move this process along. Okay. So it's L-I-N-T-I-L dot I-E? Dot com, L-I-N-T-I-L dot com. So Lintel, we're like the support above a window or of a door. So we we support the home buyer through the home buying process by informing them with expert advice and then introducing them to the service providers they need from start to finish. Uh, you see, there's the sales pitch. All right, listen, good man. Anyway, it's a fa- <laughs> I, I, I love the idea. I love the idea because, as I said, it would, it would you've probably told that, that poor man who's teaching in Arabia more in 30 seconds than lots of people have told him in months. Thanks very much. It's worth a try uh, lintel l-i-n-t-i-l dot com if you are nervous about buying your first house and who wouldn't be 1850 715 996 uh, yeah oh yeah uh, Frank was on about education and post courses and all this earlier on uh, Frank left school at 14 and went to work in a shoe factory got married had five children uh, then in the 90s, I was long-term unemployed. I finally agreed to do my leave insert and ended up in the same class as my eldest daughter. Wow. Ended up in UCC, did honours in social science and now have a great job. The value of lifelong learning. It is invaluable. 
I like that one. Thanks, Frank. 1850 715 I wish I had this service when I was buying my home, says... Is it Monica? Thanks, Monica. <laughs> it definitely helps with all the stress. Oh, listen, I could feel my own anxiety lifting just talking to the man. And I won't be buying a new house anytime soon. Hello, PJ. What's that website name again for all the uh, purchase advice and mortgage advice? Lintil.com. Think about the big bit of concrete that goes over a window or a door. And spell it wrong. <laughs> L-I-N-T-I-L.com. L-I-N-T-I-L dot com Monica says it definitely would help with the stress 1850-715-996 Here's something for you Cork's 96FM's local hero talent search has just been launched in association with Hot Press If you're a band or a hip-hop artist or a rapper or a DJ or a singer-songwriter then you could be featured live on Cork's 96FM we want to find out, are you the next Shane Codd or Lyra or picture this? Then we want to hear from you. It's part of Irish Music Month in October. and Independent Radio Across Ireland, we're looking for your music demos now. So email us an MP3 to irishmusic at 96fm.ie. There's an overall prize of €5,000. It's an overall prize, a prize fund of 5000 Get your record released and get your music played on independent radio stations across Ireland. All happening during Irish Music Month and proudly supported by Cork's 96FM and Hot Press, IBI, the BAI Sound and Vision Fund. So if you've got something you'd like us to hear, now is your chance to get into this. Uh, Irish Music at 96FM.ie. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary. Corks 96 FM. The 2021 Inchidani Summer Swim will take place on Sunday, the 19th of September at Inchidani Beach. There's three different distances to choose from 500 meters, 1.5 kilometers, and 3 kilometers. All funds raised will be donated to Inchidani, Inshore Lifeboat and Court McSherry RNLI. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie Corks96fm I'm just going to put this one out there for what it's worth and see what a response we get. Uh, I don't know how much you're entitled to on the medical card from your dentist. Um, if anything, but obviously you're entitled to something. Uh, on booking a dental appointment this morning, I was told that due to the dentists not making much money from medical card holders, they're choosing patients with cash. This is disgraceful. I myself hold a medical card and I explained this. I said, I assume I'd be reimbursed maybe down the line, but I was told, no, you won't be. Surely this isn't right. How many others are doing this? I totally understand the loss businesses have suffered during the pandemic, but this takes the business. Where do we go from here? That's an interesting query. And if anyone can help, we'll come back to it over the next day or two. First thing, I suppose, is to find out what you are entitled to on your medical card from the dentist and take it from there. So we'll see where it goes. 1850-715-996. Something that is not taught in schools, unless it's they do theatre or anything like that, is, not, is public speaking. 
public speaking in general is not taught in school. And uh, Emmett Nocton, to finish this out today, Emmett believes that in fact it should be taught in schools because it would prepare us for many times in life when we need to, as it were, speak up for ourselves, getting jobs, or getting interviews, or moving forward, even making presentations, even getting into the workplace and being able to put words together for yourself in, in some kind of a decent structure, that we should actually start to learn it as a practical skill in school. Emmett, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. It isn't something that is taught in a lot of schools, although a lot of people, young people, do join Toastmasters. Yeah, there, there's definitely the opportunity to do that. Um, however, just like there are certain fundamental language, like languages, so you're, you're taught English, you're taught uh, Irish in school, uh, maths, you're taught. I think it needs to be a fundamental, mandatory uh, skill uh, mm. for students. Because it is a fear for people, even when we have people on the phone here for ages and they've got a very good point to make or a very good story to tell. And we say, will you do it on the, oh God, I couldn't possibly do that. People are very, very, very afraid of speaking in public. Exactly right. And uh, I, I know lots of people that, that are, and I speak about myself. You know, that's, it's something where I was, I was paralyzed. I, I was not going places in my career. Uh, I was overanalyzing. It was analysis paralysis. And uh, I, I began to start getting, you know, poor mental health as a result of that, lack of belief. It, it, it started off being something so small and turned into a mountain. And I think, you know, so many people suffer from this. And uh, I've, I've got a good quote from Jerry Seinfeld. You know, he, he said most people would prefer to be uh, act actually in the casket rather than doing the eulogy, you know, and... <laughs> And 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 that's that's the that's a big that's a big point there, you know, and mm. and I do believe that. Yeah, it's. I think I think it's probably for some people it's the walk to the top of the room, and standing there, it's almost as if you were completely naked, and every word you say is being scrutinised. That's a, an enormous fear to get over. Yeah, it is. And it is that being like being judged um, and people uh, seeing maybe vulnerabilities in you when you're when you're up there. But it, a lot of it's it's a mind game and it's practice. It's like every skill. It's even the skill that you've got being uh, as a radio host. You know, you, you didn't I, unless you were born with the gift, um, you know, lots of people are not, you know, they're mm. they have to work hard. It's it's like everything you've got to practice. It. And I think a lot of people believe that. It is something you're just kind of born with or not. But that's not the case with anyone. Olympians, uh, people who are, you know, good at their jobs, everyone has to work hard mm. and it's actually a practice. So, so if I you were that, as nervous as you were, how did you learn, Emmett? Well, I learned by, um, by f well, first of all, uh, being put in a lot of difficult situations. And life throws things at you and you either respond and do something about it or you you never end up going in a kind of a progressive direction and you know for me i had some pretty severe situations happen um you know i was uh, once in a in a concert hall in 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 ul in limerick i got up in front of a whole full audience of a thousand people and i completely blanked i i didn't know what i was saying uh, I just started saying random words 
and you know, I was only 16 at the time or 15, yeah. but it, 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 it impacted me. And then later again in life, uh, I had another opportunity uh, to speak. Now, this was a more severe situation, but I was in a, I was actually in a courtroom as a, in a victim of a crime. And I was asked to come up and speak in front of the whole uh, courtroom. And I couldn't. And, and that would have actually really helped the me uh, heal. It would have helped many different things in the situation. And then the final point was my career. Um, I was getting more senior. I, I, I work over here in London. I was going up the corporate ladder. And all of a sudden I was blocked. I was, I, I was not able to get to the next level. And, you know, yeah. I remember being in a, in a presentation and being kicked by my colleague under the desk because it was, it was that, you know, uh, not 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 that well oiled, shall we say, in mm. the in the you know for the presentation. So, mm. and would it be case. in that situation, Emmett? Would it be that you're afraid of making a mistake in being judged? Yeah, it it is because I think we we all have vulnerabilities, right? Everyone, every human being has a vulnerability, and I I felt extremely vulnerable for some. You know, we we all have our different traumas and different things that happen throughout our life, but. When you stand up in front of people, you're exposed, and we all feel like we need to be someone. That we 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 all feel like we we got to be this Superman, but actually, people love vulnerability. You know, they they love hearing about how someone's got some something they're trying to improve, get better at, and that's what I was missing. I didn't realize that actually being vulnerable is very powerful. Mm. That's interesting. So when you stand in front of the room, instead of trying to put up this big shield around yourself and saying, hey, look at me, you're better. You'll get the audience on side more. Actually, you know, I am actually very nervous up here. So bear bear with me for a minute. Like, you were saying schools should be doing this. If a school has a, a, a theatre element to it or, or a debating society, it does. But you reckon it should be a formal lesson? Yeah, I, I believe it should be a mandatory uh, skill taught in schools because we, you know, if you've got the gift of speech, you know, and I say the gift, just even having the ability to talk, it's it's a true gift. I mean, you can you can really take yourself to many many positive directions in your life. You you can meet the woman of your dreams through what you say. You can get the job that you want of your dreams through what you say. You know, you're, a lot of what you do is based on what you say. And if you're a bad communicator, it, you, I, I really firmly believe that it's, you're, you're going to struggle to get where you really want to get to. Right. So did someone in particular help you or did you have to figure it out for yourself? Well, everyone's got to help themselves. You know, no one can, you know, take, you know, take you by the hand and say, right, do this. You have to, it has to come from within yourself. But... You know, being surrounded by supportive people uh, in your environment really helps. And um, for me, you know, the environment that I put myself into was Toastmasters. You know, it, mm. it was going into that organization. And, you know, people are on your side there. You go up, you make mistakes. People are not, they're not there to judge. They want yeah. you to do well. They're on your side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You and get stuck. The room wants you to get get back to where you were it's it's actually exactly. incredible it's an incredible organization exactly exactly they are on your side and 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 that's the other side of it is once you get into that environment you realize that whatever audience you get up in front of whether it's at work it's your colleagues uh, anyone it's at a wedding you're you're you know you're giving a best man speech 
everyone's on your side, actually. Everyone wants you to do well. But we have this, you know, thing in our minds where we're like, oh, you know, if I make this mistake, I'm going to be judged. And it's it's just something that's in the, the human nature, you know. Mm. We, we strive for perfection where in actual fact, all we need to be is just good enough. It's 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 actually just being who we are. Yeah, that's that's actually that is what, you know, I, I, one of the big learning lessons that I'm I, when I go up and speak, I'm not trying to be anyone else, actually, just to be myself. And that is that is one of the most special qualities you can have when you speak in front of anyone is just be yourself. Mm. Mm. And of course, the biggest hurdle to that is, do you actually know who yourself is? Exactly. And and that's, you know, that's that's probably for another conversation where you're going into all of that. But that is, you know, that is part of it. It is understanding your communication style, mm. your vulnerabilities and your way to communicate with other people. And, you know, look, look at the greatest people on the planet that have lived like Nelson Mandela, you know, Martin Luther King you know, even, you know, past great men of Ireland, you know, they, they, they've all been, a lot of them are incredible speakers, mm -hmm. you know, and that's how you... They weren't make born like that, they learned to do it. Exactly, they, yeah. they learned to do it, yeah. exactly right. Okay. All right, so, listen, Emmett, yeah. you know, I, I think you're, you're right about Toastmasters, I, I was a member of it for a little while, uh, and I mm. kind of keep in contact with it all the time, but I think it's a great outlet for anybody who wants to learn, but you're right, they should be teaching more at this of this in basic level at school, at least teaching people to go up and speak at the top of the class for two minutes, just to get that get over that massive hurdle in life because you get asked to do a best man at a wedding and you go, oh my God. Anyway, thanks very much, Emmett, and good luck with your future speaking. And that's it for today. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry and we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.